Welcome to Edelman Editions and the Entrepreneurial Spirit Series. This series is aimed at showcasing incredible founders and entrepreneurs to learn more about their journey to starting their own businesses. In this session, we're joined by Jean-Vierre Lavelle, founder and CEO of AgriLedger, a company started in 2016 to provide the right tools using blockchain technology for participants in the agricultural supply chain. Their mission is to explore the potential role technology will play in shaping the future of agriculture for the better. Today, Jean-Vierre will be joined with Camille Oster, Head of Emerge UK at Edelman. So without further ado, over to you, Camille. Hi, Jean-Vierre. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. I just wish uh, I could be there in person. I know, I know. I wish that too. Soon, in June. Yes. Um, I would like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your background, where you come from professionally, and how you made the move from banking to uh, running an agri-tech startup, because that's a fascinating story. So um, my background is actually going back to it. I'm a curious child whose parents kicked out of the house early. So I actually have a degree in music, um, along with a degree in biochemistry and a minor in comparative literature. So that tells you how um, I love to be curious, as they say. And I started actually my career in healthcare, believe it or not, and I switched over to technology and realized that I could actually see things that people didn't see right away. And the key wasn't just seeing them, the key was to then be able to help them in understanding what was in front of them. So when I was in my lab class, I was the social person, the person who brought in the food uh, and made the parties and made sure everybody connected. So I've actually realized that my key um, aspect is around networking and connecting the dots for people. And that's what took me. So even though I worked in banking, in treasury, what I did was I helped those in the team at all level, which were the operations all the way to the management, make the decision as to how to move the business, how to bring technology and how to resolve some of the challenges that we were seeing, which took me into, you know, I sometimes don't like to get the label of agri-tech. I go, it's agri-fintech, um, because I'm not looking to increase productivity. I'm looking to create that the value of the productivity, which is there, is recognized. And so that instead of farmers having to grow more to make money, that what they have grown receives the fair value that it should receive the equitable distribution in there. So in ways, it does require a financial aspect, which means using my knowledge to speak back to the banks, to speak to the financial institution and help them in understanding what are the risks, how are they de-risking something, mm -hmm. and what are the actual values which can be uh, extracted. And so coming back to that, what, what was what was the original idea for AgriLedger? How do you come up with it? Was it something that you've observed within your previous job that was an issue that desperately needed solving? Did you bring the technology with you first? What was the process behind it? 
I actually thought if I was going to do something new, I needed to make sure that was something that I was excited to get up in the morning for, and that it had to be something I was passionate about. So I actually have two passions. One is traveling. Um, there are very few places I haven't been. Uh, I, you know, somebody said uh, I said to someone I had been in all the continents. Said, "What about Antarctica?" I said, there "Ain't much there to go see." So, no, <laughs> I'm not gonna go to Doesn't count. But um, in reality, it was something that had to be exciting to me. And food is something that's important. Not so much quantity, but quality and taste, and being able to really exuberate that sense. But I, because of the fact that I travel a lot, I had seen abject poverty, and I have actually also experienced what happens when you have food poisoning. I've had hepatitis, I've had food poisoning, all things which are due to uh, foodborne illnesses. And I then started thinking that this is not only me to whom this is happening. And I've actually been, you know, with the traveling. I've been places where you start early in the morning. The flight has no food. You have no time to pick anything at the at the airport, and then you arrive to the hotel, and there's no food. My last one was to um, the Netherlands, and even though I had a credit card, I couldn't use my UK credit card to buy food, so I went starving. So imagine I had the ability. And think of those people who cannot get food. How does that happen? And sometimes the food is very close to them. It's either not affordable or not accessible. So that really was part of the decision. If I'm going to do something new, I needed to have purpose to it, and also it needed to make me want to get up and excited every morning. Okay, no, that that's really cool, and I think yeah, the the combination of food and travel makes so much sense. Um, knowing that you're talking to us from the Republican, like the Dominican Republic at the moment, which is which is kind of incredible, and I'm in London. Um, what um, what has been your main challenge when building this solution for our food system? Uh, and and you can talk a little bit maybe about the, the blockchain element, which not everyone's familiar with, but which I'm assuming has played a part in the opportunities and, and the solving of the issue, but also the, the kind of communications barrier around it. Um, unfortunately, when we look at what I would call developed world, you know, like the first tier world, we unfortunately have this issue starting with children sometimes they don't know where their carrots come from they think their carrots comes from the supermarket they don't realize somebody had to grow it uh, because of the climate we're now starting to hear a lot more about food waste the climate challenge but i started this prior to um, the whole esg conversation and to me esg is not only about environmental It's also about the social aspect. And when we start looking at the things that we love, sugar, coffee, cocoa, it doesn't grow in our streets, doesn't go close to us, and we can't make it grow, like it or not, into um, indoor or climatized um, environments. So we then need to look at where is it coming from, 
and what is happening to those individuals which are part of it. So when we look at chocolate, it's expensive. The companies who manufacture and put these things for us are doing very well. But then when we look at those who are growing it, these parents cannot send their children to school because they don't have the money to do so. So there is this total imbalance. And when I got intimated with the blockchain technology, for me, what really made me stand up and pay attention was the fact that not only did it give um, this way of creating value, but it allowed people to participate without censor, without that with their information not being blocked by someone else. Mm. So then it made me start thinking the censorship or inequality usually is due to communication or access to a market. You can't access something unless somebody is helping you. And if that person has an ability to create barriers for you, how do you remove that? And this is where I thought the technology was very important. And in the decision, also understanding where was it broken. So if we look at the food manufacturing, that's not broken. But the parts coming in, and this is not my thesis, this is World Bank, this is uh, FAO, the Food and Administration Organizations of the UN, talking about that about 80% of the food we consume as a world is grown by smallholder farmers, which are people with less than four acres. And that is not just in Africa and in Asia, it is in Europe. And lest we forget, prior to the pandemic forcing everybody at home under guise of getting arrested, every farmer in Dublin, in Barcelona, in Madrid, in Amsterdam, were on their tractors protesting that they were not getting a fair distribution. And when we look at it, they tend to get, and even if they're big in the agriculture, they only get 10% of available capital. Why? Because the risks are high. They have risk to weather. They have risk to market. They have risk to consumers. So and a lot of regulation that they have to pay mind to. So if I'm an investor, I'm going to want to de-risk my money. And that's where the whole concept of an application where information is written and no one can play around with it makes sense. So a great example as to where um, in the diamond market about four years ago, there was this big uh, challenge with the certification. So apparently, to intern a few people internally started selling certification which were not right. And by the time it was found, that meant that everything that had been touched by them became questioned. What is real and what is being paid for? So this is why it's so important to have a system where people can input information and it can be validated by others. Now, that doesn't mean that it may not be found to be false eventually, but the tr if we can all agree that something is truth, then we can all work together toward creating something. We can make bad assumption, 
and fix those later, but at least we can see how we have the evidence base of how those decisions were made. Okay. So, so blockchain has the potential to kind of transform agriculture in, in different ways with kind of like proving the origin and the, the destination of a transaction of a trade, but also helping farmers getting their fair share of the business. So if we take that, that idea, where do you see agriculture and blockchain within agriculture um, being in like 10 years? What would be the ideal evolution of what you're doing now with AgriLedger? So I'm going to have a utopian point of view. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, I think that creating the ability for every farmer to actually part see clearly where their products are going, creating, because what happens is that um, what you are able to do is to categorize also quality. So it really, I think that um, we sometimes forget that agriculture is the first level of entrepreneurship. And when we think about that, it's usually, you know, we use like uh, seed, growth, scale, and really investing and reinvesting and capitalizing on your investment. So what has happened is that we, we used to make the farmer, the food producer, the most important thing. We have shifted that. And that shift has been due to their inability to pressurize or to exert any kind of influence in the market. They have lost that. And, you know, and there are companies like, let's say, I love Tony Chocolomi, what they're doing. But if I think about it, they need a blockchain to be able to really remove, you know, they, they, you almost feel sometimes, I wonder what is contrived and what is truth because I'm not seeing the whole picture. And the reality is they are influencing the market for their farmers rather than their farmers saying, my goods are good enough to where I can sell it to Tony and I can sell it to, let's say, Hershey and get a fair price from both of them and be able to demonstrate who is giving me a fair price. So I think it's a market readjustment that is going to be possible. And that is my dream. And also to be able to use this uh, aspect of decentralization to where you can then start understanding where there is action to be made. Uh, like, let's say, whenever there is bad weather, a couple of years ago, there was devastation in the wheat industry in um, India, in the US, they had storm and destroyed. The problem is that you don't know what is left in reality, what is available. And with the blockchain technology, I think that that information can be much more fireable. You can know exactly what is going to be available and where and make a decision quickly without having usury fees being put in. And I think that's what happens a lot of time for those countries. They don't know what their smallholder farmers are going to produce. Therefore, they, go, they either go out and buy too much or they don't buy enough, which then results in disruption. And I think that the biggest reason for unrest is usually hunger. Yeah or desperation because you can't feed yourself and you can't feed your children. 
So therefore, you realize that nothing's lost, nothing gained. So you might as well be disruptive and react because at the end, if you get killed, you're still dying. <laughs> totally. And I guess, I guess in an ideal world, if you had a blockchain everywhere in every kind of agriculture in every country, you could potentially end up with a way to balance out the food waste in Western countries uh, with the hunger in developing ones and actually have a fair share of the food um, of the food sector for everyone in the world. I guess that's if we take blockchain to its extreme and we have and we have an application of it absolutely everywhere at the same level. But I guess that's the ambition for blockchain is is, is security, trust and equality of resources, right? Definitely. And I don't think it's far-fetched. You know, when the cell phone first came in, no one, I, I recall calling people trying to get to, you know, I remember, how did you get together with your friends? Well, you had to call them early, leave a message on a voicemail. I recall tell when I had the first cell phone saying to people, well, why don't you get a cell phone? Why? I have a phone at my desk. I have a phone at my home. Just call me there. Nowadays, the mobility that we get by having a cell phone, it's becoming very normal that someone doesn't have a home phone mm. or doesn't have a desk phone. And WhatsApp or chats have taken that far even further to where you don't even need to speak to someone. You just send them a message and you see when they've seen it. So we didn't imagine this 10 years ago, but it works. So I think that um, being able, and this is where this whole idea of Web 3.0 comes in, it's access to technology for everyone. And creating that trust in that technology requires for different ways. So really it's around the cryptography because what blockchain is really is based on the cryptography, which creates that ability to not change things. And if you can now have a form of communication or exchange, which is somewhat certified because of that interaction, you can then keep moving. And so I do, I, I do believe that we will see more of it and it will become like email. Yeah. We don't think of email as revolutionary, but it is so revolutionary when it first started. It was one email account for an organization and everybody was using it. When Gmail came out with free email, everybody flocked. I remember I was one of those first people and I had 10 and it was like cookies that you were distributing. So we take it for granted now that everyone has an email address. Yeah. And I guess also we, we never like explaining the technology behind the email is completely pointless. It's now exactly. we don't even need to understand it. So in in certain in a certain way, we don't need to explain the blockchain until the applications are just so generalist that people you know want what need to understand it. And so going back to this idea of understanding and, and building trust, which I think um, is a nice segue into um, communications and and their role in building a brand, building a business and, and building kind of trust and scale in it. How did you go about building the AgriLedger brand? And what was, you know, what was the main challenge that you faced in, in that journey? Um, it hasn't been an easy journey because it's been a lot of appropriation. 
people、mm-hmm. want to be part of it, and also, I mean, sometimes I don't talk about it very much, but I've had bad behaviors come in under the guise of wanting to work with me, but really looking to take over. So, one of the chal- the challenges that I actually did in the last couple of years was to start creating the Agriledger brand, which was in Jean-Vierre brand. So decoupling is, you know, so as an in,、um, an entrepreneur or starting a business, you need to couple the brand to yourself quite a bit, but you then also need to decouple it at some point, so that your brand is not the、uh, solution that you're trying to do. But it is also important to be clear about your values and to stick to those values. And、uh, part of the challenge is that I'm a strong person, so I people sometimes mistaken my soft voice as someone who is easy. I'm easy, but don't get me angry, because when I get angry, I do react, which is normal. But I think that one of the Uh, aspects I had to work on when I was in corporate was this trust issue that people had with me because they thought she's one way, and I like to observe because don't make assumption that someone doesn't know, and then ask them to adjust. And when I did, many of them were surprised because they didn't realize I was looking at what was going on. So that has been one of the things that I've been trying to make sure with the brand, to say, this is what I. It is not. It cannot be just about me, because if I make it about me, then it will never become a network. And also, what was what is very important is not to say I know better. I need to bring in those who are in the midst of it as part of the solution. And this is key to building software, which I think sometimes people miss on. It is not about your personal experience; it is about the experience of those that you aim to serve, and that's where people get it wrong. So I was telling somebody software as a service, and they were like, "What's that?" I said, "That is what software is. It's a service. It is not. So it's really about key about putting the individual in it." And if you can allow the individual to own it, then they will help you in defining what works for them, and also what doesn't work. And you will find at all times that it's different. So it is important to get the what's in it for me, not me as an individual, but to anyone which is interacting. Okay, that's yeah. So so. To sum up, what your 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 kind of your guidelines for like brand building is, which I think is really interesting because it's something that we see a lot in other startups, is making sure that you leverage your personal profile to the point that it's helping you, but then at some point creating your brand's own identity for the company itself without it necessarily being totally linked to you, and then bringing a team alongside you that's laser focused on. Your audience and your audience's needs—is that right? That's correct, and that's why it's important. You know, like I say, a lot of startups don't think about having business analysts. They basically、uh, try to build the product, and there's a tech team. And I'm like, 
unless you can read as to why you made certain decision, you then don't understand who, you know. So yes, some people go through this user journey. User journey is only part of it. The what, why, and how are very important. Mm. And that's the part of then defining what the brand is about, what do you stand for? And being able, because what happens is that my experience is very different than those I aim to serve. So I can't, you know, yes, I'm a foodie. I love food, but it's not the same as making food and getting paid for what you're doing. I can relate to getting paid for my job, but I can't relate to their experience of being in the sun or not having information. And that's what we're trying to solve for. And so going back to this idea of your your own personal brand and your company's brands, what has been your interactions with the media like? How, how has been your experience talking externally about your company, leveraging your profile or not, but talking to journalists, um, being asked questions by journalists? What I'm just really interested <laughs> to understand what your experience has been. Well, it, um, so as I said, I haven't been, when uh, my first uh, co-founders things went a bit south, they did try to tarnish. I have been lucky that journalists are smart enough to understand what's in Reddit is not true. <laughs> so in most, uh, uh, most cases, um, what I'm glad to say is the experience in Haiti has helped shape a conversation. Uh, if I can get over them getting my name right, <laughs> then we're okay. <laughs> the first, the first barrier, right? <laughs> uh, obviously, being a woman of color and being in technology also has, um, I would say, challenge. Um, I was fortunate enough that I was born to the right family, that education was important and prioritized. And as such, I was provided with the right tools. So I think that for journalists or interviewers, I tend to be a great folder because I, I can exp I'm able to exprimate myself well. And, you know, people take that for granted sometimes, but it is very important. So I've never found it to be um, in any shape or form um, controversial or difficult with journalists. Uh, it's usually for them a good story. I try not to play, I, I don't play the game of the race card very well or the woman card. I think that there are challenges. Um, one needs to be aware of who one is, but then transcend behind that because at the end, it's ability which defines everything. So. I never really looked deeply into it, but I did very well in my career. I really was at very high position. I never saw them as that, and just saw them as what made sense. And I think that's what's important to be able to give young girls the ability to believe themselves and to know that your only obstacle is yourself, no one else. There is, we're lucky today that we live in a world where information is much more readily available. 
Google, um, all those things. You can learn just about anything. You just need to know how to search and get that and educate yourself and uh, empower yourself. Uh, one of the things I have decided I don't do anymore is I don't enter what I call beauty contest. So if somebody um, nominates me, I'm very glad for that. But even though I do believe that we do need to self-nominate, the systems don't usually um, encourage truth. They encourage embellishment. So and they don't look at deep down what is the um, the impact that has been made as they're giving. So that's why if one looks at my profile, it doesn't look as though I'm winning a lot of prizes. But my, my view is I'd rather win the real prize in life by making a difference than having somebody recognize and giving me an accolade, which for all purposes really at the end of the day, I've yet to find one which actually increased visibility mm. or increased income. <laughs> I mean, That's I just... interesting. It's really interesting that you say that because I was going to ask you about the role of, you know, online and digital media in conveying, you know, a company's credibility, uh, its track record, and like, so so the role the role of external communications which sometimes can be a bit, you know, based on vanity, obviously, but the also, you know, showing the track record of a company. How do you use it in, in so, business? Uh, what I've done, um, and this is something that I'm always struggling with, do I need social media or don't I need social media? Do I need PR or don't I need PR? Yeah. What I've realized is um, the mediums, however, demand for you to have presence so it doesn't need to be lots of information but it, if you're not seen you're assumed to be dead and sometime however you look and you see organization making noise and you know there's nothing behind it and what's really important i think in the space of technology and finance is to tell the truth and so when it comes to blockchain technology or even crypto, I do believe in it, but I also believe that there is a lot of bad behavior going on and people taking money and creating a, a view of something that exists. And when you start looking underneath the covers, you find there's nothing. And there are people who tell you that mostly in my space that they're using blockchain technology. And you need to ask what blockchain, how, what are, what are you trying to do? And you then realize that it's based on this ethereal thing, which has no reason. So it's the hype of the technology that they're using. So as such, it makes it necessary for me to be out there. Because if I'm not out there, people are going to assume that mm. I've disappeared. I don't want to be flashing and splashing, but I don't want to be quiet either. No, I think that's an interesting balance to strike, right? And it's also the balance between what's hype, what's real, which blockchain, Web3, Metaverse, NFT are all suffering from finding at the moment. <laughs> Metaverse doesn't exist. It's yeah, well, 
that could be an, an entire different podcast but yeah <laughs> um, um i think we're at time so i just want to finish by asking you what are your top tips for people um who want to develop an entrepreneurial mindset um within within a company or by by creating their own i think that the reality of the new way of working is that you must become entrepreneurial and again as i said entrepreneurial is being able to self-motivate to create goals that you have to attain um, what's happening is that i think more and more you shouldn't expect that you're going to be working for a company for the rest of your life and you're going to have to continue to learn and that learning has to be self motivation rather than somebody prescribing it to you and as we bring in more technology more of what were the mundane then requires for you to think more so to remain relevant so i wouldn't be surprised if we get more people becoming entrepreneurs um and work is asking most people to become entrepreneurs also to allow the organization to be able to um to prosper and if you cannot do that and if you cannot get into the aspect of the organization that paycheck may go away and mostly now that this pandemic has demonstrated that talent does not need to be right next door and that you can get people to actually produce effectively without having to shine a light on them at all time makes it again much more necessary for you to be able to find your own path and believe in what you're doing and continue to improve yourself without your employer paying for that training thank you so much for this inspirational words genevieve um it's been a really great conversation thank you again